Haunted UK podcast is recorded and mixed in stereo. Listening through an environment such as stereo speakers or headphones will ensure you get the best experience. Let me quickly tell you about our official podcast sponsor, CDS Print and Design. CDS is a family-run company who offer great prices and great products, such as printed t-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers, banners, signage, and much, much more. For more information or for a free no-obligation quote, email Colin or Debbie at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com. You can also find CDS Print and Design on Facebook and Instagram. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that the Haunted UK podcast is now on coffee. If you love the show and want more content, such as bite-sized bonus episodes, horror and paranormal movie reviews, chances to get your hands on exclusive Haunted UK podcast merchandise courtesy of CDS Print and Design, as well as a free Haunted UK podcast sticker and much more, then get yourself over to Coffee and sign up to donate just £3 per month. That's KO-FI and search for the Haunted UK podcast. Coffee. Why not buy us one? And here's a shout out to two amazing people who've done just that. A huge thank you to both Samantha Ingram and Mark Wilson for your incredibly generous donations to the show. This is Season 2 of the Haunted UK Podcast. In this season, we're going to cast our net far and wide to tell stories of UFOs, unsolved mysteries, strange creatures unexplained disappearances, as well as further tales of ghosts, poltergeists and haunted locations. But before we dive in, why not make a note to listen to the following great podcast. Hey guys! And welcome to Spilling the Crime, a true crime podcast hosted by... Me, Umberto Melo. And me, Jonas Grancha. Join us in this big adventure where we will be talking about crimes with a tipsy twist. How this crime happens, I want to know what the fuck is the unwrapped chocolate. Her name is Sharma Melgenlings. Magma... Magmar? Magmar meningitis? What? Where's the dick, Lorena? Where is the dick? Oh! Yes. Are those your enemies? <laughs> Are they after me too? <laughs> Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and then he masturbated on the carpet. <laughs> Dangerous I mean, yeah, questions. No, yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> we do not agree with this. <laughs> Carl said that. Don't compare. Like what? Don't copyright us! Don't copyright us, yes, please don't block us. So, grab your glass, because the spilling is about to begin. <laughs> the response to Listener Stories Volume 1 was amazing. So a huge thank you to those who sent in their stories and a huge thank you to all of you listeners out there for tuning in. So we're back for a second and final helping of listener stories with volume two. And this collection of tales from an amazing set of listeners are truly fascinating.
let's start with all you fantastic listeners out there. Now, if you have a tale to tell of an experience which happened to you, a family member or a friend, and you want to send it in, then don't panic. You have plenty of time before our season three finale, which is scheduled, all being well, to run around the 23rd of December. This may change depending upon any specials which may be slotted into the schedule. And there are a few ideas rolling around regarding end of season, Halloween and Christmas specials. But I'll try to keep as close to the schedule as possible. So if you want to send in your stories for the Season 3 Listener Stories finale, then email them to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. You can always ask to remain anonymous, and if this is something that worries you, your identity and your stories are treated with the utmost respect and privacy. There'll be another reminder near the end of this episode, but for now, sit tight dim the lights, and let's begin. Now, whilst this first snippet isn't a story, I still wanted to read it out because I didn't get a reply from this individual when I reached out to answer their question. I'm hoping that my email didn't go into a junk folder. Hi there. I've been listening to your show via Spotify, so not sure if you have any plans for future episodes and stories. I really like the format and the correct attitude to the subject. I've been lucky enough to witness some strange yet normal things over a large part of my life from about three years old. All I see them as were spur of the moment, right time, right place, looking in the right direction type things. I won't go into detail just in case you're not after any more stories. All the best, Steve Benham, Southampton. Well, Steve, as you can hear, the show is still going strong and we'll be launching into season three in a few short weeks after a bit of a break. If you're still listening and you want to send in your stories, then please feel free as I'd love to hear them. I hope you get in touch very soon. We now move on to a collection of truly amazing and frightening stories from Mark. As with Pete's stories from volume one, I can clearly remember sitting down and reading this email and being completely absorbed by everything that Mark, his mother and their family and friends had experienced. On top of all of this, at a particular time in their lives, both Mark and his mother were victims of terrible abuse at the hands of an individual who simply didn't deserve being a part of their family. This is what Mark sent into the show. I just wanted to say I really love the podcast. It's helped and entertained me immensely, so thank you. I live in a small town in Cheshire. I'm now 46 years old. When I was 10 or 11 years old, we moved house with our parents. It was a fairly traumatic time as they were trying to start again after a few problems and unfortunately within months of moving house, they announced that they were to separate. This meant a lot of upheaval and disruption for us kids, with comings and goings over the following years, as mum had new partners before eventually remarrying. My mum had a friend who was a medium. She did salt readings, which was something I'd never heard of, and they also dabbled quite frequently in the Ouija board. 
When my mum was single, her friend would call around every Thursday evening and they would have a drink and use the board as well as doing card readings, etc. I saw them do the Ouija board once. The glass was moving without assistance around the board and at some pace, so I knew it wasn't just two friends joking around with something they didn't really understand. My mum had a bad experience with the board when she was in her teens. Herself and her cousins contacted a distant Irish relative they didn't know. At first, he wouldn't let them leave the board, and when they did, the glass flew off the table and smashed into the wall. So my mum knew how dangerous and irresponsible it was. I knew a bit about the Ouija board as friends had used it in school, and the board told one of my friends he would be dead by the age of 21. You can imagine the emotional damage this did to him, so I also knew a bit about the dangers, and it made me anxious that my mum was doing this in the next room in our house. Anyway, to demonstrate how good and accurate a reader my mum's friend was, these are fairly mundane examples but give a good indicator of her accuracy. One night after school, she did a salt reading for me. She said she kept seeing the words Rose Bowl repeatedly. That night after school, I'd bought a live vinyl album that was recorded at the Pasadena Rose Bowl. It was Depeche Mode's 101. She didn't know this at all. She also said she could see people running over a bridge and she was looking down on them. On my way home from school, I had also called into a sports shop and they were putting up a poster of the London Marathon. It was a bird's eye view of runners crossing what I assume was Tower Bridge. Again, she knew nothing of this. I don't know if the house was already haunted, but in the following years, the building became a very dark and oppressive place to live. My mum had a brief relationship with a man. One night while staying at our house, he got up to use the bathroom and my bedroom door was ajar. He said he could see that I was flat out asleep, but there was an elderly woman sitting on my bed combing her hair. He was in no way the kind of guy who would actively believe in the supernatural. If anything, he was a bit of a cynic and someone who didn't lie about anything. I also had a sleepover one night, and the following morning, my mum came into my room to check on myself and my friend. I was still asleep, which was typical of me, but my friend told my mum that he saw an old woman come into the room in the middle of the night, and being curious, asked my mum who she was. My mum was obviously taken aback by this, and it confirmed the suspicions already raised by her then partner. My mum continued to keep all of this from me and my friend never told me about this sighting until years later. There were other sightings of this elderly woman. My cousin, who was in her twenties and came to visit one weekend. She was sitting in the living room with my mum watching TV when she suddenly asked, Who's the old woman? She pointed my mum towards our staircase and sat there as clear as day was an old woman knitting a cardigan. She instantly disappeared before their eyes. On another night, my mum returned from a night out with her partner. When they opened the front door, the woman was seen by both of them, 
standing praying in front of a grandfather clock in the hallway. Again, she instantly disappeared. Gradually, I came to learn about these sightings. One night, I had my eyes closed half asleep when I felt the movement of someone sitting down on my bed. Then a loud laugh down my ear. This wasn't a friendly laugh. If I could describe it, it was like a stereotypical witch's cackle. That's the only way I can describe it. I didn't see anyone, but the laughter was clear and unnerving. Not long after this, I was about to leave my bedroom, dressed ready for school one day, when out at the corner of my eye I saw someone dressed in what looked like a white nightdress, crossing the landing into my sister's room. I could have sworn that my sister had already left for school, so I followed whatever it was into her room. The room was empty. It was a sunny day, and as I entered the room, dust particles were clear in the air, as though someone had disturbed them. The building itself had creaky floorboards, and we would hear the noise of someone walking around on the landing quite frequently, when nobody else would be at home, or when we knew no one was upstairs. The sightings increased, coinciding with my mum meeting a new partner. This guy became her husband, but wasn't a pleasant man by any stretch of the imagination. He gradually became verbally, emotionally and physically abusive to us all, bullying us, threatening us, etc. He once even tried to burn us all in our beds. He made my mum and sister stay in a bedroom together while he set fire to clothes downstairs. I had to talk him out of it, something that happened on many occasions. That's just a small example of how wicked and evil he could be, and is probably, if truth be told, only the tip of the iceberg of the things that he did. We eventually had a secret emergency button installed in the house, which would alert the police if we were in danger. A few years into their marriage, my mum's husband got really sick with hepatitis. He was bedridden for weeks. When he improved and came out of it, he said that while he lay there for weeks, he could see a demon-like figure hovering over the bed, looking down on him. As if it was waiting for him to die, to take his soul away. Unfortunately, this guy is still alive today, terrorising other families, but this incident gives me some sort of comfort that he will one day get some kind of justice for the despicable things he did to us and other families. My mum eventually, after years of false dawns, plucked up the courage to leave him. We had to do a midnight flight and run away, leaving him in the house on his own. He later told my mum that when he was staying there alone, every time he was in the kitchen, where mum used to dabble in the dark arts, he could see a huge, spindly black figure standing over the doorway watching him. There were so many other incidents over the years. Too many to recount, really. We did move back there once my mum went through court cases and got her ex-husband removed from the house. When I was in my late teens, I was leaving my bedroom one night with my girlfriend at the time, when she stopped in her tracks. She was like, what the hell is that? When I looked beyond her, as she was in front of me, there was a dark silhouette moving down the stairs, 
as though someone's shadow was moving against the wall. My mum did eventually move house, and we knew the people who moved in afterwards. They didn't stay there long. When we asked them why they moved, they said they felt uneasy at the property, like there was something dark and malevolent in there. They had a young son who just couldn't settle there at all. I don't know whether my mum opened the house up to whatever haunted the place. It seems to me that there wasn't just one presence there, but something that was either taking on different forms or a whole host of otherworldly darkness. I often wondered if something followed me or attached itself to me. The property I live at with my partner, we've been here for 15 years, and despite all that time, we've never really settled in, as it has that same oppressive and dark feel as our old house did when I was growing up. Things go missing regularly and turn up where we've already looked. At our old house, I remember mum's necklace going missing one day. It was missing for weeks, then randomly turned up, placed perfectly over the corner of her mattress. That's the sort of thing that continues to happen. And I've never mentioned this to anyone, but several years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night not feeling quite right. My heart was racing. I have quite bad anxiety and convinced myself I was having a heart attack. When I looked towards the window, there was a dark figure there. It was like the typical death figure that you see in the movies and that we see in folklore. Dark cloak, holding a scythe, clear white face and black nothingness for eyes. After a while the vision faded, but I can see it engraved in my mind even now. I can't help feeling that in dabbling with the Ouija board, my mum opened our lives and home to all kinds of dangers, both of this physical world and of another unknown realm. I know you've said frequently about how dangerous the board is, and I would urge anyone thinking of messing with the unknown to think again. Hopefully these stories will be of some use, but if not, don't worry. I love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Take care. Mark. Well, Mark, every single item that you sent in has been used, and all of them are astounding, creepy, eerie, and incredibly fascinating. I also have to commend the strength and resolve of yourself and your mother throughout the period of abuse which you suffered at the hands of someone who clearly seemed completely out of control. You were both incredibly brave, and I do feel that any type of negative paranormal infestation would have not just fed but gorged on all of this extremely bad energy, which in turn could have made its effects much darker and more intense. I also do agree with you that the Ouija board was probably the starting point for all of the disturbances and phenomenon which you experienced. One of the best descriptions that I've ever heard with regards to the use of an Ouija board was said by quite a famous psychic medium, and that was, quote, Using an Ouija board is like living in a major city and leaving your front door open with a sign above it, everyone welcome. Sooner or later, somebody will come in and do damage, end quote. Thank you so much for sending in these accounts of your experiences and please feel free to send in more at any time.
Now, it's one thing working or living in an environment which is haunted, but when you've worked in one of the most haunted castles in the UK, and you've been a witness to paranormal phenomenon as well as hearing about amazing accounts from the past, well, it's very special. And the following stories are exactly that. Jack was tremendously kind enough to send in the following collection of tales and experiences from when he worked at none other than Stirling Castle in Scotland. Jack writes, Before getting started, I just wanted to say that I've been loving the podcast so far, so keep up the good work. I recently finished employment at Stirling Castle in the Scottish Central Belt. I worked there for almost five years and have plenty of haunting stories to tell. Employees of Historic Environment Scotland who own and operate Stirling Castle do not allow employees to talk about ghosts for some reason. So now that I'm no longer an employee, I can share some of the good ones. To give some context, Stirling Castle is the largest in Scotland. There has been some form of settlement on the Castle Rock for over 2,000 years, and a castle of some description has existed here from at least the 12th century. It's positioned at the only safe crossing of the River Forth, the gateway between Highland and Lowland, meant that it was highly contested throughout history. Many large battles, such as Stirling Bridge, 1297, Bannockburn, 1314, and Sockerburn, 1488, have all taken place in this incredibly strategic area. The castle has been besieged countless times during the Scottish Wars of Independence, the Wars of the Three Kingdoms, and the Jacobite Rebellions. As a result, it has a history soaked in blood ripe for many fascinating stories and spooky goings-on. On a brighter note, it was the home of Scottish royalty, and for some time, Stirling was Scotland's capital, the centre for royal life and home to vibrant parties, lavish court ceremonies, and only a few scandals and intrigues. King James IV, V and VI, we like calling our kings James, OK, as well as Mary Queen of Scots all made their homes here for some time, I have always been somewhat of a believer in the paranormal, but have usually been sceptical of places who have such great reputations for hauntings. The people of Stirling love to tell tales of the three lady ghosts of Stirling Castle, and many stories exist about their origins. The ones I will share are the most popular versions, but are by no means fully accurate accounts of historical events. The Green Lady is the most well-known of these spirits. She even has a gin named after her at our local distillery. Her origin story dates back to September 1561, when Mary Queen of Scots was staying in Stirling Castle's palace. Mary had a serving maid, a Highland girl who many believed had the gift of foresight. On a cold September night, she had a vision that Mary would be killed in a fire in her bedchamber. She begged Mary not to stay at the castle at night. But although Mary trusted her, she could not leave the castle on a whim when she would be required for affairs of state. The girl asked if she may stay awake during the night to watch over Mary and ensure her safety, to which she agreed. The girl sat awake with only her candle for company, 
but as the night wore on and the candle began to melt away, the girl felt her eyelids become heavier and heavier. Surely it wouldn't hurt for her to just close her eyes? Just for a second. As she drifted into sleep, her candle fell from her hands, igniting the drapery on Queen Mary's bed. The fire quickly spread across the room. The girl awoke just in time to rescue the queen from her bed, but not before she succumbed to the flames and smoke. This story has some historical backing, as records do mention a fire in the Queen's living quarters in September of 1561. Her spirit is often seen and felt around the castle, particularly in the palace and the King's old building, and is often accompanied by an overwhelming feeling of sorrow. She is often seen as a green haze, although she has been reported as a full-bodied apparition by others, wearing her signature green dress. I have never experienced her myself, but one of the cleaners claims that she saw the lady while cleaning early one morning in the Chapel Royal. She was a tough woman who didn't scare easily, but she refused to return there alone for a long time afterwards. It is believed that if she is seen by someone, then a tragedy will soon befall the castle. Next up, the Pink Lady is believed to have been a young woman who fell in love with a soldier in the castle garrison. She was the daughter of the castle governor, and as a result their romance was forbidden. Nonetheless, they found a way to keep their flame alive under her father's nose. As with all stories like this, however, it sadly was not meant to last. We aren't sure what happened to her lover, but we can assume he perished in one of the many occasions the castle came under siege. And with her heart broken, the lady took her own life to be with him once again. It's believed she jumped from the castle rock, perishing in the valley below. This is where she is most often seen, wandering around what is now a kirkyard fittingly, still looking for her lost love. It's been some time since she has been seen in the castle, but locals often claim to see her on cold winter evenings, wandering around the kirkyard. No one has any idea of the origins of the Black Lady, who is often seen in the guardroom square and inside the now closed-off Caponier. Her presence inspires terror in those who see her, turning their blood cold. She is often seen on Stirling's back walk, a sheltered footpath that connects the castle and the town, where she is quick to frighten off local youths from time to time. As far as I'm aware, there is no origin story for her, but I hope to be corrected soon. Of the Lady Ghosts, she seems to be the most sinister. When I worked there, the most active place in the castle from my experience was James V's Palace, a beautiful Renaissance building built in the French style. It was built for James V's second wife, Marie de Guise, and features separate sleeping quarters for both monarchs, as well as rooms for them to entertain guests and courtiers. On the top floor, which would have initially housed a nursery as well as more private rooms for the royal family, is now home to Stirling Head's Gallery, which displays carved wooden sculptures. This gallery doesn't look scary or haunted in the traditional sense, seeming very modern for its new purpose. 
However, looks can be deceiving. A colleague of mine was opening up the gallery one day when he heard feet running on the floor nearby. He noticed the distinctive slapping sound of bare feet on a wooden floor. The steps grew louder as they came closer until reaching his position and passing him. He saw nothing but heard the sounds clear as day. He's an ex-policeman and doesn't spook easily at all, but this really shook him up. On another occasion, myself and a colleague heard a child laughing as we opened up the area one morning. It's an hour too early for customers to be here, we said to one another, but felt obligated to check just in case. We heard the laughter again. We scoured the entire area until reaching the exit on the other side, a locked security door. No one could have got out without us seeing them. Many other staff members have reported footsteps and the sound of children's laughter and play. The castle often hosts events in the evening after closing time, such as functions, parties, weddings, etc. On a cold November night, myself and another colleague were posted on fire picket inside the King's Inner Hall. We had locked up the Head's Gallery earlier in the night and knew no one else had access, nor needed it for that event. This is why we were surprised to hear footsteps running around above our heads. Lots of footsteps. Like the sound of a small group running round. We could both hear it clearly, and another staff member passing by commented on it too, so we knew we weren't going mad. Sometime later, the footsteps were replaced by the sound of furniture moving around the sound of something heavy being dragged across the floor. I retrieved the keys and started my ascent up to the gallery. I could still hear the noises, and I won't lie, that as a grown man I was trembling with anxiety, but I needed to make sure that somebody wasn't breaking in. I could hear the noises just around the corner, almost deafeningly loud. I stumbled on my next step, causing a rather loud clatter on the floorboards. The noise immediately stopped. As I entered the room, nothing was out of place. Nothing had been moved, and the room was completely empty. To say that I was creeped out was an understatement. I returned to my colleague downstairs and told her what had happened. About 20 minutes later, the footsteps began again, but nowhere near the level of before. I guess they must have learned their lesson. The castle's great kitchens, subterranean vaults that once housed the castle kitchens, brew house and butchery were very active too. It really looks the part, being dark and full of mannequins. The spirit that resided there appeared to dislike women being inside the area, as women would regularly report having a ghostly hand on their shoulder or being given a light push as if to lead them away. I was approached by female visitors regularly to report this. They would look nervous sometimes, thinking that I would think they were daft, until I said, let me guess, your shoulder? A ghost hunt that happened in the 90s apparently contacted a spirit there named John, who seemed unhappy with female presences, but didn't come across as aggressive, just insistent that they respect the area as he saw it as his. 
Just beside the kitchens is the Elphinstone Tower. Now in a state of ruin, it would have been home to the constable of the castle in medieval times. In this area, soldiers are often seen in Highland dress, so solid in appearance that they're often mistaken for reenactors. As the story goes, an American lady suffered a fall inside the tower some years ago. Her friend rushed for help while she waited where she had fallen. It was then that two soldiers in kilts took her by the arms and escorted her up the steps and outside to wait for a first aider. As she sat down, she turned to thank them, but they had gone. She asked a staff member to thank the reenactors for their help. The staff member, confused, said there weren't any reenactors in the castle on that day. It was then she realized what she had seen. The soldiers are seen regularly and are believed to be friendly spirits. There is even a famous picture taken of one of the spirits in the castle simply called the Highland Soldier. A less known spirit appears to be a hooded monk. He isn't reported as often as other spirits and is rarely seen, which may be just as well, as he is known for turning the blood cold and filling those who see him with absolute terror. A workman stayed late one autumn evening to fix some of the floodlights on the front of the gatehouse. Pretty standard work that he'd done many times before. As he worked, hunched over in the light, he heard a light shuffling behind him. Upon turning, he saw the area behind him completely empty. Nothing to be seen at all. As he turned back to the light, he saw the dark robes of the monk. Looking up, he saw the hood shrouding a face in complete darkness. He explained the feeling to me as pure terror and the most frightened he had ever been. As soon as the monk appeared, he was gone again. The workman rushed to finish and was out as quick as he could. He is believed to be a spirit that watches but is regularly seen and is often blamed for the overwhelming feeling of being watched in the gatehouse and garden area. I hope you like these stories and feel free to use them if they're good enough. If not, I hope they were entertaining for you. There are more stories I could tell you in the future if you like, but for now, my fingers are on fire from typing this on my phone. Many thanks, Jack. Jack, these stories were an absolute pleasure to read and to share with the listeners. It's just fantastic to have a listener of the show who has not only experienced all of these events, but who also worked in such an amazing environment. I'd love you to keep in touch with the show and please consider sending more stories in. Thank you so much. Before we continue, here's a message from another great podcast. Hey guys, this is Michelle, and I want to first of all thank you all for checking out this podcast. You may be wondering what you were in for tuning into a podcast called Paranormal Exposed. Well, let me tell you what you're going to get on this ride. First off, I am a skeptical want-to-be believer in the paranormal. I'm going to be looking into various paranormal stories and give you all the information that you can possibly handle. You will get the history behind your favorite stories, along with some stories you might never have heard of. So, of course, this isn't a history podcast. It's a paranormal one. So, of 
course, I'm going to present the haunted reports as well as any photographic video evidence or any of that I find along the way. All the episodes will feature stories based in the United States, and I will cover various paranormal phenomena. So join this skeptic every Wednesday wherever you tune into podcasts, and together we will find the truth and expose the paranormal to be real or not. Now, it's back to the show. Back in Volume 1, we had an amazing story sent in from a palliative care team nurse. It described the sighting of the ghost of a woman who had been in her care and who sadly passed away due to cancer. I mentioned that having stories from people who experience death, sometimes on a daily basis, are a very rare thing, but also amazing to think that they feel the show is deserving of their experiences. I also mentioned that there was not just one story, but two. You had the first in Volume 1, and here's the second. The sender wanted to remain anonymous, and I fully respect their wishes. So here is their story. I have this which happened at work at a hospital in the East Midlands. I have many stories about this hospital, but this one is one I witnessed firsthand. We had a security guard who tragically died. It wasn't expected, so affected many of us who knew him. He worked the night shift regularly, which was basically him patrolling the grounds on an hourly basis. During the patrol, he'd check in on the various night staff throughout the hospital, as it was only a small hospital with minimal staffing. After his death, many of us heard his heavy boots set off on his hourly patrols around the grounds. Hospitals are eerily quiet after hours, so the sound of heavy footsteps down an empty corridor can't really be passed off as anything else. Every night his rotor would have fallen, the footsteps would start their patrol without fail. Up and down corridors, across all floors, and always following his regular route. On the ward I was based on, we had a couple of staff who were smokers. On a night shift, they'd have to go alone into the dark for a smoke break, so if security were around, they'd often escort them for safety. Both of these staff reported on many occasions that when they left the ward for these breaks, they'd be escorted by the heavy boots walking alongside them until they'd return to the ward. The night reception team would see the nurses leave and all witness the heavy footsteps that accompanied the nurses along the way. The night reception team also reported watching the automatic doors that led to the outside open and close at the exact same time the footsteps would pass them by throughout the night. The footsteps would even pause at the reception desk, as he would have done in real life as he spoke with the staff there quite often. I've seen and heard many stories about this hospital in my years here. With a few exceptions, none are the typical scary haunting. Most are, like our security guard, people who left this realm too early and continue their lives as if their death never happened. Every staff member who heard the heavy boots patrolling around was comforted to know that our colleague was still around and still dedicated to his job, protecting the staff and patients. Eventually the footsteps stopped. 
It was sad to think that he was no longer around, but we truly believe that if the hospital needed him, he would once again set off on his eternal patrol. Like all of the stories sent in, I can remember reading this one at home in my studio and being in awe of the events that happened. To have so many people witness these ghostly footsteps is extremely rare, but to also have automatic doors open and close at the times when this spirit was on his patrol is just astonishing. It really did seem like this individual wanted to continue his job and make sure all of the staff were safe. I realise how difficult it must be to send in stories such as these, especially when others around you may frown upon the possibility of the existence of the paranormal. But so many of your colleagues obviously believe that the activity was down to the same person, and that, again, is truly amazing. I can't thank you enough for sending this into the show, and please keep in touch and feel free to send in more stories that you may have heard from the hospital. I'd be hugely grateful to receive them. Our next set of stories come from a listener named Holly. She sent her first experiences in which revolved around some strange and frightening events in a haunted pub where she works, and these were outstanding. Then, after I replied, thanking her for being kind enough to share these incredible tales, she offered to send more. I'll let Holly take it from here. She writes. This is one of the many haunting and absolutely petrifying real-life stories which I've personally experienced. But before I go into the details, I'd like to give you a little bit of the history about this location. So I currently and have for the past five years worked in a local pub to my area. The history of this pub's past landladies and landlords hasn't been the best at all the fairly recent suicide of one landlord, to the murder of an ex-landlady, and so on. I did work for the landlord that sadly took his own life in the building around three years ago. Recently, a few spooky goings-on have been happening, from glasses smashing, shadows being seen, to pumps in the pub just being flung down and beer being poured everywhere. All of these incidents have been witnessed by many people, but my encounter was while I was cleaning the pub on my own four weeks ago at the time of me writing this account. At the time of the incident, the pub was closed and it still scares me even today when I think about it. So when I clean the pub in the morning before opening, I have earphones in and listen to podcasts like yours or music to help pass the time and to keep me company. This day was like no other, and I must add that there is nobody else in the pub during this time. During my time cleaning, I heard a loud ding. I took my headphone out to listen for a minute but didn't hear anything so turned my podcast down and carried on. A little while later and again, ding. So I removed my headphone and stood for a while looking around to see where this noise was coming from. Then to hear another ding. This was the pub's last call bell being rang. I was spooked, but thought that I'd be okay as the dead can't hurt you. So I carried on cleaning and popped my headphones back in. I was then hoovering, and please believe me when I say that the cable to the hoover was completely slack. 
no pull whatsoever. The cable was then yanked out of the plug socket and thrown towards me. At this point, I was petrified, but said to myself, come on Holly, only the toilets left are clean and then you can go. I stood for a while in shock, but plugged the hoover back in, but removed my headphones at this point as I was hypersensitive. As I carried on, the landlady returned and went upstairs. We both said a brief hello, but I had to finish cleaning before the pub opened. I walked down to the gents' toilets, and now this is the part of the story that pushed me over the edge. The toilet doors in this pub have an anti-slam bar at the top, so it's impossible without a huge amount of force for these doors to slam. The doors are also held open by a latch at the back which has always been there. Upon arriving at the toilet door, I was met with the door being slammed against my face, literally hitting me in the nose. I froze in fear with tears running down my cheeks from the force of this door which had been slammed into me. My nose at this point was bleeding quite heavily and I ran upstairs to the landlady begging for her to help me, expressing how scared I was and what had happened. Now I must stress to you that I've cleaned this pub for three years and I've never experienced anything. I also work behind the bar and I've only been witness to the odd glass being smashed, but nothing like this. Thank you for reading my story, and I do have others from my childhood I'd be willing to share if you'd like me to send them in. Kind regards, Holly. Well, as mentioned, I thanked Holly and encouraged her to send in any other stories to the show, and she sent the following. Before I start, I do have to point out that Holly suffered abuse from an early age and she has been amazingly strong and courageous to share the following with us all. She describes a series of incidents which seem to have revolved around her suffering. Holly continues. We moved into this home when I was seven years old and I'd never had any experiences at all until my abuse began at the age of 11. Shortly after this and through the continuation of my abuse, I started seeing a shadow in my bedroom, but before it would appear, I would get a smell like rotten vegetables. One particular night when I was asleep, I was awakened by that same horrible smell, but also the feeling of someone stroking my face. As I focused to look what could have been doing this, I was met with the sight of a little girl with half of her face missing stroking my face. To say I was terrified was an understatement, but just as our eyes met, she disappeared. This continued to happen for weeks, and it got to a point where I decided to tell my mum and dad about these sightings and experiences. I was simply told by both of them that all of these incidents weren't real, but just dreams. But I knew what I was seeing and I knew that it was real. The next night would be the moment that everyone began to believe me. I shared a room with my sister, and we were both asleep when I was woken up by the sound of someone sobbing, but also the feeling of something heavy on the bottom of my bed. Again as before, I composed myself and sat up and saw the figure of what looked like a small child sat at the bottom of my bed 
but with my quilt covering their body. By this time, my sister had also woken up, but she immediately began screaming in terror. She could see the face of whatever this figure was, but I couldn't. We could hear our parents heading towards our room, and at that moment the figure disappeared. Our mum and dad asked what had gone on, to which my sister replied that she had seen a young girl under my quilt, with only half a face. I couldn't believe it. This young girl had now appeared to both of us, and my parents were now beginning to take notice. Sometime later, my dad was having a conversation with a family friend who was a local farmer, and somehow they got onto the subject of what had been happening in our house. My father was left stunned by what he was told next by his friend. In the early 1900s, a young girl had been abducted by a farmer and his son and sexually assaulted. She was then killed by being shot in the face, and the area where she had died was the location of where her home had been built. Over the course of the next few years, this young girl continued to appear to me on a very regular basis, but she would also taunt and scare other people as well. I have two brothers, and along with other family members, they would tease me saying that she wasn't real and all of this was just in my head, but the girl would make herself known to them in other ways. She would move things around the house and throw things. She would whisper in people's ears and make the stairs especially a no-go place. You would never walk up or down there. You would run. She was always there. By the time I'd reached the age of 14, I decided to speak out about the abuse which I'd been suffering. And that was the last time I ever saw her. I can't help but think that this poor young girl was somehow trying to comfort me and little by little making me strong enough to finally tell someone about what had been happening to me. In many ways now, I take comfort in that realisation, but also in the knowledge that by telling someone about my abuse, I've somehow helped that young girl find her own peace. Thank you for reading this, and I hope this story makes it to your show. I love listening and supporting podcasts like yours. Again, take care. Holly. A huge, huge thank you to you, Holly, for being kind and trusting enough to choose the Haunted UK podcast to tell your stories. I'll always be eternally grateful, and I must say that your sheer bravery and resilience should be a lesson to all of us of how to keep going when all the odds seem against us. Thank you once again, and please keep in touch with the show. This next series of amazing stories comes from a listener who wishes to remain anonymous. This person, who we'll call Callie, describes hers and her family's encounters with more than just a ghost. Callie writes, My husband and I separated and divorced quite a while ago, but the following experiences will live with me for the rest of my life. Many years ago, my ex found a rental house for us to move into. The house belonged to the father of a friend of my ex, and unfortunately I didn't see the house before we moved in, which turned out to be a big mistake. 
On the day we began moving in, I remember putting one foot on the threshold and immediately knowing that it was either haunted or that something bad had happened there. Or worse, both. It was a house that even looked out of place in its location. It had two stories, which was fairly unusual for the area. I can recall walking up the wooden stairs and feeling a presence. I said out loud something like, Don't worry, we will look after the house. I'm not really sure why I said that, but maybe it was simply to show that we were not going to damage the house in any way at all. The previous tenants hadn't treated the house very well. For example, someone had broken the bathroom door by punching a hole in it, leaving it hanging from one of its hinges. The house had also been left very messy and the furniture had been badly mistreated. The house had a heavy atmosphere all the time and always seemed to be cold. Even when friends of our kids would come around to play or to stay the night, they would ask their parents if our house was haunted. I knew that the wife of the owner had died, but I didn't think she died in the house. Apparently my ex had found some of her clothes and a few dolls that were still in my cupboard, and my ex moved them to the garage so I didn't see them. My younger son soon began to experience bad dreams, and would wake up crying in the night saying things like there was a wolf in his room. Then, later on, he would come up to me and say something like, Mum, there's someone in my room watching me and it's scaring me. He honestly looked so terrified and he was only about 10 years old at the time. I would just calmly tell my son to tell whatever he thought it was to leave him alone. Around the same time, he was in a surf carnival and said to me at the beach that this thing had followed him and he was scared that it was going to push him off the jetty. So, does that mean it came for a 45-minute drive in the car and followed him to the jetty where all the kids were jumping off? He's now 27 and says he doesn't remember, but I think he still has a slight inkling. At the time we were living in this house, I was also studying. So I used to get the kids to bed, put my headphones on, and get some work done. I can remember on one occasion that my ex was also out, so I was banking on getting a good amount of study time in. But this wasn't to be. I heard an almighty crashing noise which sounded like crockery being smashed. But there was nothing. Another time I was sitting watching a paranormal type show with my teenage daughter and we both heard a crash like a large ceramic bowl being smashed coming from the kitchen. We were alone at the time and I looked at her to see if she had heard it but she said, I don't want to know about it. I went to look at what had happened but there was nothing at all to indicate anything had been broken. The kitchen was tidy, for once, and everything had been put away. A few times, I felt pressure on the back of my legs when I was lying in bed. At first, I thought it was my ex, but no. One time it felt like a cat had jumped onto the bed and he was lying on top of me. In terror, I looked over to see that my ex was on the opposite side of the bed facing away from me. The door was shut and there was definitely no cat. I said, please don't do that, I don't like it. 
and it stopped. My youngest daughter told me things after we left the house. She had her bedroom next to mine and thought in the middle of the night we had people over and we were having a tea party because she could hear the cups and saucers banging around and people talking and laughing. When she went out to go to the bathroom and see what was going on, there was nobody there. It got to the stage where I was thinking of calling in professional paranormal investigators to see if they could help, but I was just too scared to make the call. I didn't want to make whatever it was in the house worse, so we just moved on in the end. I just have a feeling that the people before us had maybe encouraged bad spirits because that's what it always felt like to me. I'm sure that whatever it was in the house is a mixture of good and bad. Maybe it was the people before us had let in the bad things because it was definitely not us. My husband left when we were in that house and it was a really, really awful time in our lives and I think maybe the spirits fed off that negative energy as well. Couple that with the poor kids getting freaked out and maybe all of the ingredients were there for a poltergeist manifestation. Who knows? But I don't know how else to describe it. Actually, when you read out the story summary of the poltergeist movie, it could very clearly mirror what we went through. Even the part about the house being built on a graveyard could be true for us, but instead of a graveyard, Maybe it's an ancient indigenous people's burial ground. Maybe the spirits of these ancestors could be the ones haunting that house even now. As we've got older and got on with our lives, we haven't really spoken much about what had happened in that house. But since writing these accounts down for your show, I decided to ask my daughter if she had any recollections of what went on. And this is what she wrote. I was quite young when I lived in this house, being around eight years old when I moved in with my parents. My dad and I went to the house before anyone else had seen it, and I went to explore my new bedroom that I would be sharing with my brother. I excitedly opened the four-door cupboards, only to find a row of creepy-looking dolls on the floor of the cupboard. As a kid, you would usually be excited by some dolls. I did love playing with them at the time too, but the feeling that these gave me even at that age was super weird. I wanted them out of the room. Better yet, I wanted to get them out of the house. I had lots of experiences there, but the one that has stuck with me and that I think about quite often would be the time I experienced what I now think was a demon. As my bedroom was now upstairs and there was no bathroom up there, I had to go all the way across the top floor, down the stairs, and then through the house to get to it. I used to need to go a couple of times a night, as I loved drinking water. I would only ever walk through in the dark, so not to wake the rest of the family. I was never really afraid, until this one experience happened. I did my normal walkthrough. But once I got to the stairs, I could feel an overwhelming sense of fear take over me. I wasn't sure why, until I looked through a gap in the stairs. Every step had a gap between the next, and you could see that under the stairs was quite a big storage space. There, 
taking up the space was an old lady, all in white, long and old-looking clothing. She was just smiling up at me, but not in a friendly way. I guess I just presumed it was a family friend, because I ended up just continuing on to the bathroom and not thinking much of it. I went to go back up the way I came, but she was still there. But this time, she was almost chuckling to herself. I wanted to run up the stairs to my mum's bedroom and to safety, but once I got to about eye level, she grabbed my leg and I fell. The rest of what happened next was just a blur, but I'll forever have the old lady's face in my mind and it gives me a shiver every single time. Thank you so much, Callie, for sending in these amazing and very creepy stories. Also, a huge thank you to your daughter for being kind enough to add her experiences as well. Her sighting of the old lady beneath the stairs is something that will stick with me for a long time. Thanks once again. On the 4th of March this year, I released episode 13, Phantom Hitchhikers. This was a topic that I'd wanted to write about for a long time, and there's a second episode in the works. It's an element of the paranormal that has absolutely fascinated me since I first heard about the legend of Resurrection Mary. The episode also proved hugely popular with listeners, and on Instagram, Dominic sent in the following short stories. These two incidents took place during the Troubles in Northern Ireland in the late 70s and 80s. My dad was out one evening with two of his mates. As they were driving, they saw one of their friends on the road near Divis Mountain, Belfast, so they decided to pull over and offer him a lift. They stopped and let him in, and as they were driving and talking, they turned around to look at their friend, but he was gone. They found out shortly after that he died a few days before. Another time, my dad's car had broken down in a snowstorm. It was the middle of the night on the Black Mountains in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and he was stranded. As he started to walk in the freezing cold night, an old-style taxi from sometime like the 40s pulled up from literally nowhere. There were no other cars around at all, and this was so eerie but my dad got into the taxi and told the driver where he needed to go. My dad began noticing that the taxi driver was giving him very strange looks as my dad was talking about the troubles going on at the time in Northern Ireland. This guy simply didn't seem to have a clue what my dad was talking about and cut in to tell him that he was just a taxi driver who worked at a place at the top of Anderson Town Hill near a graveyard. My dad said that there was only an abandoned building up there and nothing else. My dad also mentioned that the background music was playing also from the 40s, and this made him even more on edge. Then the guy began speaking of things that were happening to him and in the area, but they were all things that, yet again, seemed to have took place in the 40s. The taxi driver was starting to think that my dad was completely nuts judging by the look on his face and then stopped the taxi and ordered him out when my dad corrected him by telling him the year was in fact 1982. My dad watched this strange taxi and its driver disappear into the night, never to see him or it ever again. 
Thanks so much for sending these stories in, Dominic. Bantam hitchhikers are, in my opinion, one of the most terrifying paranormal phenomenons out there. I simply can't imagine what I'd personally do if I was giving a lift to someone one minute, only for them to vanish the next in the confines of my car. The second story is completely fascinating. Maybe the possibility that someone from the 40s had accidentally crossed over into the present via some type of time slip. We'll never know for sure. We all love a good spooky story which revolves around a haunted house. But what if you actually lived in one? How would you react to phenomenon happening right in front of you? Well, our next and last listener's story of this incredible episode comes from a woman named Leslie, and she has first-hand experience of what it's like to live in a haunted house where paranormal phenomenon was an almost everyday occurrence. Leslie writes, I have just found your podcast, which I have really enjoyed, and wondered if my own story would be of interest. My story begins when, as a child, my family moved into a 17th-century farmhouse in the Oxfordshire countryside. We weren't a particularly happy family, as Dad had a temper which gave us all a very tense feeling. After a few weeks of living in the new house, my brother and I were woken up by my dad shouting upstairs for us to stop marching about and get back to bed. That was the start of the very heavy footsteps that went from one end of the house to the other almost every evening. We all started hearing it like a heavy-footed person purposely walking along the landing. What was strange was that everyone tried to pretend it wasn't happening. We would talk louder, turn the TV up, etc. My brother and I were terrified of going to bed anyway in this rather cold and dilapidated house. It must have worried my parents, as after a few weeks the local vicar was called in to bless the house. Even he seemed extremely scared and didn't even venture up the stairs, but opened the door at the bottom of the stairs and threw some holy water up and muttered something and that was it. When offered a cup of tea, he asked for something stronger, something that was always talked about with some amusement after. Anyway, This blessing did nothing, and as time progressed, lights came on randomly, and the heavy footsteps seemed louder. I sometimes lay in bed and could hear breathing quite near me. Terrified, I used to hold my breath to see if it was just my own breathing, but no. Still, the steady breaths went on. On evenings that my parents went out, I would sometimes wake up to hear the back door's heavy latch being lifted and then a chair being pulled out on the stone slab floor in the kitchen and muttering downstairs. At first I would be relieved, as I thought it was my parents returning, but then on several occasions later in the evening, I would hear their car on the drive and then them actually coming in, so who the first unseen visitor was, was part of the mystery. As I grew into an angsty teenager, the noises got worse. Things moved around in the house, and on one occasion, when no one had been at home, my makeup tray was found thrown on the ground and brushes, etc., scattered all around. Relatives sometimes stayed, and a couple fled in the middle of the night too scared to stay after hearing the footsteps. 
So many things happened in the farmhouse we couldn't explain, but we all sort of learned to live with all of the activity. One evening, while all sitting round the long table in the kitchen, the bell in the hall rang. This had been connected to a pulley outside the large oak front door. We all looked at each other and my dad said, come in, to break the tensions, as there actually was no clangor in the bell and it had never had one since we moved in. I left the farmhouse when I was 17 and my parents later retired to Cornwall, so for a while the house was empty. Apparently, the chap who bought the farmhouse, a musician, never reported hearing anything in the house. I often wonder if the ghost was upset at such a disjointed family moving into its domain. Anyway, I have never forgotten the fear of being alone in the house with our mysterious guest. I have also done research to find out about previous tenants and found records for a single gentleman who lived there before us and farmed. He never married, lived alone, and was part of all parish matters like the church, etc. I now wonder if it was him who was upset by my family invading his space. I will add a picture a relative took of the farmhouse recently for your interest. What is so weird is that I've always had an overwhelming feeling for the need to go back to the house and face my demons. I really hope your podcasts continue, and all the very best from me, Leslie. The photo which Leslie kindly forwarded to me will be posted on the Haunted UK Podcast Instagram account. It really is worth taking a look. So we're now at the end. The end of Season 2, and also the end of our two-volume Listener Stories finale. Throughout this season, we've heard stories of hauntings, poltergeist activity, UFO sightings, curses, ghosts, and even the possibility of werewolf-like creatures roaming around the UK. And even though this episode brings season two to a close, don't worry. There's not only a multi-part Bigfoot special coming up, but also season three. So stay tuned. A huge thank you to everyone who sent in their stories. You're all amazing, and I can't tell you how much I really appreciate your kindness and support. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK podcast. But before I go, I'd like to give a few shout-outs. And the first one is to all of you, the listeners. Thank you so much for following, subscribing, and listening. None of this would be possible without all of you. The show is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Wherever possible, leaving a positive five-star review helps the show in many ways. Listener figures are rising rapidly, and that's all down to you. So, huge thanks to you all. Another shout-out goes to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design, who have been kind enough to come back for a third season. Huge thanks to both Colin and Debbie. Next up is a request to all you listeners out there again. Have you seen a ghost? Witnessed poltergeist activity? Had a strange, unexplained paranormal experience? Have you ever stayed in a haunted location or experienced something frightening on a ghost tour? 
Even better, do you live or work in a haunted house or building? Have you encountered or seen a UFO? Heard a story about an unsolved disappearance or mystery? Or have you been lucky enough to witness a strange, unknown creature? If you have, then your story could feature on Season 3's Listener Stories finale episode. Simply type your story up and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. It's easy to do, and if you like, you can remain anonymous. Huge thanks in advance to you all. Besides writing, recording, mixing and mastering this podcast, I also run a mixing and mastering studio called Pink Flamingo Music Productions. If you have a podcast or piece of music that you'd like mixing, mastering or both, or if you'd like a piece of finished music written for a project that you're working on, then please email the studio with details of your inquiry to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com. It's nowhere near as expensive as you'd think. This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. For a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes. Thank you all so much again for listening, and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe and take care.